January 27, 2021. It's a lot for Pedro Show.
Watford Pedro <laughs> show. Happy Wednesday, last Wednesday of January 2021. Weird saying that, but uh, Brother Matt at the Love Grotto, a couple miles south of the Pleasure Point. I got a message from him. He's missing me. I'm missing him big time, but we're in quite quarantino mode. However, I'm not totally man alone because of the incredible Skype invention from the engineers in Estonia. I got base brother Trevor Dunn. Welcome aboard. And uh, we're talking to you from Brooklyn, making a Brooklyn yeah. Pedro connect. Yeah, yeah, I'm in okay. Brooklyn. Way into that. I should tell the people what they heard. We start off the show with Night in Tunisia. This is John Coltrane with Dizzy Gillespie, 1951, really young. And he's, he's finding himself, but fuck, what a classroom <laughs> to be in, Mr. Gillespie's. <laughs> okay. Um uh, Trevor Dunn after that with the, the boardwalk. Yeah. Boardwalk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's a famous uh, East Coast <laughs> song. But you're not East Coast to your ridge. So let us let, let, turn people on to your musical journey. What's your earliest musical recollection? Wow. Um, I think that would be at my parents' house, um, they both had a lot of records around. Um, my mom, you know, was a pretty avid, has a really good jazz collection. Um, my dad was into more, you know, Elvis and Tina Turner, stuff like that. But we also had a lot of um, uh, these Walt Disney soundtracks. And I remember specifically this movie, um, Black Beauty, you know, about the horse. Right. And the theme, that song, for some reason, was it's very dramatic and um, it's kind of this jazzy 6-8 feel. Um, it's kind of got it's kind of got heavy lyrics, actually. It says something about um, the jazz waltz. Six yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and and the lyrics talk about how you know it's about this horse and how he knew the meaning of pain. And pretty heavy lyrics for a for a kids movie, you know. But um, that for some reason that is one of the earliest songs in particular that I ever remember hearing that really kind of affected me dramatically, you know, that gave me a a feeling in my gut. Nels Klein told me it was very controversial bringing in the six eight to jazz because it was all <laughs> four on the floor shit. Yeah. Right, I was, I right. was recording some some Italian guy, some math rock, thirteen seven shit, or was, you know John Coltrane. <laughs> but anyway, uh, this pad uh, with your parents, where was it? Uh, Eureka, California. Okay, okay, okay. So you're Way North Cal, in, uh, NorCal guy, uh, a true NorCal. People say the Bay Area in the city, but that's kind of in the middle. Uh, it is now, it's now. Now, in this pad with the Disney records and the Black Beauty drama, was there instruments? Uh, there. Well, you know, my um, I started on clarinet when I was probably in the fourth grade or something. That was um, and that was my mom's clarinet. I actually originally wanted to play saxophone, uh, but my parents weren't. You know, they didn't want to buy one and they weren't sure if I was going to stick with music or not. So they said, why don't you play this clarinet? So there was that clarinet. And then um, my older brother started playing guitar. So um, and he was getting into rock music. And so there was a guitar around for a while. And so, yeah, there were instruments in and out. At um, some point later, they got a, my parents got a piano just for us kids to mess around on. And um, but uh, did you have the lessons thing? 
Yeah, yeah, I took. Now, what was the t- guests on my show have had a lot of different experiences, and it kind of depends on the teacher, right? Absolutely, absolutely. My my clarinet teachers were not that great, um, and that's I think that's one of the reasons I didn't stick with it. And then, but then my first bass teacher was this guy named Larry Weber, who not a lot of people knew. Um, he was kind of a fusion guitar player, and uh, he he was amazing. He was really encouraging, and he would you know he got me these Carol Kay bassline books. And I'd learn these, you know, these boogaloos and these blues lines and stuff. And then he would, you know, teach me the blues progression and then just wail over the top of it while I held it down. And I think that was probably the best kind of teaching I ever could have had. Okay, I'm confused here because I thought we were talking about piano teachers. Oh, no, no. I was. How did we make the jump to the bass? How did, (laughs) of course, I want to get to this, how you got on the fucking bass, but for sure. Uh, what I got now in my mind is the licorice stick and then your brother's guitar and him getting into rock and roll. Uh, what was the first record you bought for yourself? Oh, geez. Probably um, Cheap Trick Live at Budokan. You know, when you're a kid, you ain't got a lot of money, so it's kind of trippy what you spend it on. What was the first yeah. gig you went and saw? First, My first concert was Kiss at the Cow Palace when I was 11 years old. Okay. We saw, me and D. Boone saw Kiss about four times before they even had a record out. And we only, oh, saw, only saw them once after the... Yeah, we thought the record was real slow when yeah. it came out compared to what we were seeing. But, okay, let's, let's, let's get back to that, that, that uh, lesson thing. So, on the piano, you didn't have lessons? I didn't start. I didn't start taking piano lessons until I was in college, actually. So, that was much later. And that was kind of, um, you know, that was when I was 18 or 19 and I was taken uh i took a couple years of lessons at the university humboldt state university um and that was you know with like a real piano professor so that was you know pretty um uh you know um you know very kind of formal academic yeah Yeah, because this is part of a whole music program not just the piano it's probably a a device to, to teach you harmony or shit yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. And but, okay, I, then let's back up. Let's let's get to this bass, this guy, a fusion guy <laughs> that would jam over you. Now, how did how did that happen? Uh, he taught at the local music store, and I, you know, signed up for lessons right away. I got, you know, I got my first bass. Yeah, but for, let, tell me about that. How? Why did you go looking for it? Did, did somebody make you play it? Like D Boone's mom made me play bass. I didn't even know what the uh, fuck it was. <laughs> right, right. You know, it's funny. I mean, my my older brother was playing guitar, and he was he was really into Kiss and um, Elton John. He was always playing along to records really loud, and I would mess around on his guitar. And then at some point, I decided I wanted to play bass. And and I remember my dad saying, um, "Why do you want to play bass? Why don't you play guitar? That's more in front." You know, he he was he was that was kind of his personality. He wanted me to. He thought it would be better if I was like playing a lead instrument up in front. But I didn't I didn't want to do that. But I don't think I even really understood what bass was. I just knew it was kind of similar to what my brother was doing, but different. And um, and yeah, then I got my first bass for Christmas, and I and what started. What was it? What was that first bass? It was called a Hondo. <laughs> oh, I remember those Japanese. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Crane yeah, had one. The guy, uh, the bass started- man for a uh, tragic comedy, and he, in fact, he was embarrassed it was a Hondo, so he put aluminum foil over the fucking headstock. <laughs> <laughs> but it was okay. It had Demarzio pickup. 
Yeah, this had like two, like um, it was like a double cutaway. It was like this dark brown color. Exactly, uh, same thing. Yeah, yeah. that's funny. That, Never even yeah. heard of those before. Okay, okay. And what was your first amp? My first amp was called uh, um, I don't know who made it. It was called VT, and it stood for Vibration Technology. <laughs> and it had these, it had these, you know, aside from you know treble and bass knobs on it also had these five buttons you know country jazz rock yeah, of course, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> you know we'd be without that um now now this teacher this fusion guy he would like give you a pattern and like hold this down <laughs> fucking freak out over it yeah he would i mean i already kind of knew how to read music a little bit because of you know my clarinet lessons sure but, but um, that's treble clef. Yeah, yeah. But I, you know, I understood like rhythmic sure, things, sure, and that, right, yeah. Right. So then I had to learn bass clef. Right, right. Uh, and um, yeah, he would he right? would give well, me these lessons where he I'd learn these bass lines, you know, these little these licks, these Carol K licks, um, and then he would say, okay, now you got to play it in these three different you know keys, um, you know, the, over these three different chords, and he would just wail over the top of it, and he was great. He was. <laughs> He, I remember the first lesson. He called me a badass, and that that in itself was like so encouraging. I'm like, oh my god, he used the word badass. I I, mean, I'm, I'm curious cause since they were Carol Calix, did you use fingers or pick? I I think I started. That's a good question because I, you know she's a pick lady. In fact, she she has foam rubber between the body and the strings. Ah, uh, right, right. Yeah, I. You know, I can't remember. I I think I started with a pick, and then and then I had a that teacher moved away, and I got another teacher who was also good, and I think he got me more into playing with my fingers, and then um, and now of course I go back and forth. Yeah, you know? yeah, I was going to say that because there, th some assholes try to say one is better than the other, and it's all fucking vocabulary, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, fuck them. <laughs> okay, <laughs> some of my fellow bass people really got their heads up their ass about something. Uh, I want to play Nocturne number six. Okay.
Waffle Pedro Show. Yeah, Nocturne number six, Trevor Dunn. Started that chunk of Brand new from Super Freak out of Milano, Italy. Formerly Barry. Barry, sorry. Semiotic Squares. Semiotician, Giuseppe. Model Home, brand new out of DC uh, album. Looking for is the name of the tune. It is great. Check it out. Hands Rotten out of Switzerland, drum guitar and whooper or whopperloo. Yeah, W-H-O-P-P-E-R. Swiss no English better than I do anyway. Dale Crover, brand new record. Mo Clips. And you got a little experience with Dale Crover there, Trevor. Yeah, nice. Uh, Gary yeah. Sager from the pop group with a brand new uh, piano and saxophone record. Miniature number 19 is a tune. Leyden Jars, Abstract Armor. Maybe on more. Yeah, does England put a U there? Maybe it's love, yeah. No, that's Amor with the R, out the R. Yeah, asshole. Fuck <laughs> what? <laughs> Bob's Brendan after that. Rasta Monkeys. A foodie from Osaka with humid. Elmo Kirkwood, son of uh, Kirk Kirkwood, of course, with 2021. And finally, uh, Sperm Church. <laughs> a, a project Trevor Dunn's with Put the Baby Online. And, okay, so what about the shit uh, after school where you got the basement band, the bedroom band, the garage band? Did you do that? Yeah, absolutely. That was the other thing about my first teacher was he, you know, he was a guitar teacher. And so, you know, his other students were guitar players. And one of his students um, who played guitar had a brother who played drums. And I, so I immediately, within a couple weeks, I think of my first lesson, I was in a band with those two guys. And, um, you know, just my mom would drive me up to their house because uh, I, you know, I didn't, I couldn't drive yet, and um, we jam and we started, you know, finding, you know, our our affinities for music, for bands, and learning cover songs and all that. Yeah, stuff. yeah. I'm curious. You copied off records at first, but did you write yeah. your own? Try writing your own too. Eventually, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what was his band called? It it eventually became. We went through probably like 10 different names, but it eventually uh, was called Gemini. <laughs> All right. That, that was a two-man spaceship, right? <laughs> I think my, my pop was a Gemini. Yeah. Uh, it's also a collection of stars in the sky. It's like two twin brothers. Yeah. So, so did this band do gigs or was it just a prac band? Yeah, we, we started doing, you know, we played at the... Tell me about the first gig, first Gemini gig. Oh man, it was so. Let's see. Um, let me think about that. I think our first gig was after we we were in high school. So then we went back to our junior high and played, you know, in the in the gym or something. And uh, I remember playing "Working Man" by Rush, uh, which has a little there's like a little bass break. <laughs> Well, if you're playing a trio, you got to be into Rush, right? Nobody says Cream. It's always I always get told Rush. Yeah, yeah. I think Cream was was too deep for me at that point. <laughs> uh, but was the gig a success? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great, People were great. screaming and yelling and excited to see a band, and that was encouraged us, you know. And um, so, well, yeah. Now, now after high school, you go to college to to music school in college, right? Yeah. What happens there? Well, I, you know, after high school, I didn't know what the heck I was going to do. And so I thought, well, I guess I'll just go to, I'll just, I'll major in music. You know, I didn't, and I didn't even really know what that meant. And I kind of thought I was going to be 
um, studying electric bass and learning it, you know, learning more about jazz, which I was kind of doing, you know, my last couple years in high school. And um, they immediately, I, you know, I show up at university and they hand me a bow and a, and a, and a cup of rosin and they're like, all right, you're playing, you're learning classical technique. <laughs> and, oh, the stand up. Uh, yeah, I started playing upright and I would, I didn't even plan on that. It just kind of, you know, they, I just kind of went with it. And I think that's called Arco. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I remember one of my first lessons, you know, I was using electric fingering to play a major scale and that teacher was like, nope, that's not how it's done here. <laughs> yeah, you got to really work the fucking open strings with an upright. And also not use your third finger, you know, right. on your left or, or you make it together, right? Yeah, yeah. With the pinky. You know, I tried in the 90s. I ended up doing a seven inch for Kill Rock Stars, but it was too fucking hard, especially where the body meets the neck and your hand has to turn the other way. Right. Yeah. And then you have to go into thumb position. Yeah. Oh, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a completely different instrument. I didn't. It's a, it's a giant fucking violin without a chin part. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> no, they did that, I think, to keep the temper for the symphony, you know, for the, the big orchestra. Uh, you know why, you know, you you got a bitchin' old P bass, right? Yeah. It's and a, you know why Leo called it that? Uh, uh, say that again? You know why Leo called it that? A precision? No, why? Because it's got frets. <laughs> he didn't play. He, well, he did a little sax and some piano, but it was for his country buddies had to tour tying the doghouse to the top of station wagons. So right. Yeah, so, yeah, because it had frets, right? But actually, Rickenbacker had a bass uh, mandolin, so he uh -huh. wasn't the first, but let's give Leo the credit. Uh, <laughs> so, now, you, you ain't playing with them high school guys anymore, uh, no, no more Gemini band? No, that band kind of evolved a couple different ways, and actually, before I was in at university, I'd already started Mr. Bungle. Um, you, you started that? That's your band? That was I co-founded it with yeah two of my buddies yeah okay okay and how did how that happen let's start a band like that yeah we after Gemini you know I was in a couple other bands and and we were all metalheads at that point and um and I met uh, my brothers you know Trey Spruance and Mike Patton and we just had a lot of things in common and we yeah we just got together with a drummer and that was it started ah it, but but it was a drummer there wasn't like a fourth guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know like the first clash record right there's no fucking drummer <laughs> right he's like some i think they even changed his name he's like tory crimes he ended up a chiropractor somebody told me wow but okay okay what was the first mr bungle gig like we play we we rented out the it was called the Bayside Grange, you know, it was one of these, um, Grange Hall, Grange Hall. Yeah. Yeah. Grange right. people was like a union for farmers because the railroads were so fucked in them. Ah, I never knew that actually. Wow. Well, Amazing. it's from a hundred years ago. And shit. Yeah. 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 Well, this was, you know, it was in a small, it's not even really, it's like a village between Eureka and Arcata. You basically drive off the you pull up, you know, you take this exit in the middle of the freeway and you drive off into this field and there's the Grange. And we set up this gig with, I don't know, probably four other bands and um, and invited our friends. And that was the gig. It was, yeah, a tiny little place. Did you play last? 
I think so. Yeah. Yeah, it's your gig. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's our gig. <laughs> Politically, though, I hate playing loud. We call it the broom. You know, you got the broom. You got to do cleanup. That's right. <laughs> well, that's... but you learn that later, right? <laughs> <laughs> cleanup. Okay. Look, we're at the end of the first hour, twenty twenty one. Uh, January 25 edition of Life for Peter Show special guest Trevor Dunn. Hold tight for hour two. January 25, 2021. It's the second hour of the Life for Pedro Show. Branson. I was born a poor girl in a town so gray and wretched, even flowers could not bloom. Oh, but in my youth, I was quite a beauty, and I caught a rich man's fancy. He showered me with gifts of English lace and French perfume. 
He took me to the city, to his fine, luxurious mansion. He told me that he loved me, and he'd soon make me his wife. But he began to treat me badly. He turned so cruel and spiteful. Yet still, I never dreamed that I would someday take his life. It had to be done just as sure as there's a rising and a setting of the sun. He'd tell me I was worthless. He'd say I should be thankful that a man like him would care for such a poor and wretched girl. For his pleasure, and kept me locked up in that house, away from all the world. Then he began to beat me. He'd whip me and he'd kick me. I came to have both sadness and deep hatred in my soul. Many times I cry all through the night up till the morning. My spirit he had broken and my heart was black as coal. And what I did, I'll testify, it had to be done just as sure as there's a rising and a setting of the sun. Came home drunk, screaming that he'd kill me. He yelled all through the house, "Girl, when I find you, you'll be done." I was hiding in the corner of the dark and gloomy parlor, but what he did not know was that I found his hidden gun. He came staggering in, still screaming. In the corner, I was crouching. He saw me there and raised his hand with a wild look in his eye. And Lord have mercy on me. I fired six bullets in him, and as I fired, I screamed out, "Die, you bastard, die!" But what I did, I testified. And now you've heard my story. It's true, I took a life, so judge me harshly if you must. But that evil, wicked man, the world is better off without him. His ashes gone to ash, and now his dust gone back to dust. Now you see, I'm old and gray. Won't be around. Longer will I go to heaven or to hell? These things aren't guaranteed. 
Life for Pedro Show, the second hour, with a song that Trevor did not title. <laughs> the Heisenberg and Certainty Principle from uh, Toyn Verbruggen and Trevor Dunn, which I yeah. guess is some European friends you uh, got to record with. And then Sam Bennett after that from Tokyo, the ballad of Molly Branson, Sam Lock Ward from Iowa City, Retreat Into Your Mind, See in Tijuana. Radio Repricity. Notice I didn't say Tijuana. That's like Aunt Josephine. Come on, people. Ain't no fucking A there. <laughs> Quit imagining. Dr. Herman Green from Memphis. We lost him in November. Beautiful man. Up to 89 on his sax. Inspiration. Glimpse Trio after that. I got this thing. I think they're out of Cleveland originally. Two of them. And then King Buzzo, uh, the Melvin guy with Trevor. Uh, I'm glad I could help out which is a fucking great sentiment. You know, we need more musicians with that kind of attitude, Trevor. <laughs> you know? And said, so what about me? <laughs> I'm glad I could help out. I, I could aid in a bet. Okay, so I know with Mr. Bungle, is this where you do your first, like, um, recording stuff and then, like, tours? Yeah, well, I hadn't toured yet, but that was a that was that was the first band where we really were like you know we made a demo of original music, and we were just writing our own stuff and um, doing doing gigs locally and and then a couple years later I think we did our first gig in San Francisco, which was our first out of town gig, which was a total nightmare. You know, it was it was the classic. You know, we had to load up uh, uh, 
um, fire escape, you know, in, <laughs> in, in the middle of, uh, uh, North, North Bay where there was no parking and we were just freaked out of our minds and no one showed up to the gig. We drove all the way down. Oh, we there. call those, we call those character builders. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I should have a character about the size of Empire State Building. <laughs> but, but anyway, you know, a farmer would tell you, right? If you want a good crop, use a lot of manure. So fucking bring it, right? <laughs> exactly. Okay. Where did you record that demo? The first demo we recorded ourselves in in a garage or something. Our guitar player Trey had a uh, you know a Tascam four track um, tape machine, you know, and we cassette, did yeah. A, yeah cassette and. Um, I think we recorded the bass and drums with one microphone of and that course. was, one. <laughs> and the vocals got another track and the guitar solos got the, another track. So you know, the urinals, they made that first record. Well, the amplifier had two inputs. So of course you put the bass in the guitar. The same <laughs> and Kevin's drums had paper heads. You know, hey, it's, it was more econo. I, I'm, I'm curious about the composition. Were you composing yet? Well, yeah, I mean, I had a actually I had a, a great um, music theory class in high school, you know, when I was 18 um, or maybe even 17. It might have been my junior year. And uh, I mean, that's kind of unheard of now, music theory in high school, you know, yeah, but that's bitching. Yeah. Um, uh, and that teacher was great. And that's, you know, we he got us writing music. I, I remember the first uh composition project we had was we had to write for a desk <laughs> that's great yeah um, but that's fucking cool. what's his name man that's great uh don minky um he, thank you mr minky because man i've had people you know can play like motherfuckers but you got to have a sheet of music in front of them yeah 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 and this so did, he, like, get you, did he get you besides composition into improvise uh <clears throat> I don't know if he did, but then the the I was in like band class, um, and that teacher Dan Horton was also really important for me, and he got us into he's the one who got us into Charlie Parker and you know listening to jazz and learning how to you know uh, come up with bass lines. Mr. Bass Paul Chambers. Yeah, exactly. Not just bass lines, but ver verses, bridges, choruses, intros, outros. What about the bass as a composition? I'm, I was going to get into this later anyway, but. The bass, you know, because Mr. Mingus, he composed on a piano. Right. Were you, what, what, what were you using? Clarinet? <laughs> <laughs> Licorice stick? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, actually, I think, and I still, to this day, I still tend to compose more on guitar. Ah, um, okay. I mean, I didn't really have any guitar chops. I mean, I still don't, but. No, but, but you got I, chords, so you got harmonic content that the bass don't have. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and you got that clarity in the higher register register where you can hear right. these chords. And so that, that's why Nels loves my things on the bass because it gives him all kinds of room to invent that for himself. <laughs> Look, yeah. I want to play, I want to play the empty glass as a name.
I just had a dream that was kind of symbolical. The dream was that I was on a train and I went in the wrong direction. I don't know how I did that, but I could see out the windows that I was going the wrong way. I had to get off, but I had too much stuff with me. I had to collect all my stuff together. I don't even know how I got on the train with that much stuff. That part wasn't in the dream. But I couldn't get all the stuff I had with me all together to get off the train and go back the other way. So the train kept on going with me on it, going in this other direction. And that's quite symbolic of life, you know? I feel I do collect some experiences and they give me some sort of knowledge. Some people might call it wisdom, but I'm not sure about that. But it is knowledge and experience. I've got a lot of that.
For Pedro Show. Start that chunk of music out with Trevor Dunn's Trio Convulsant. 
with the empty glass has a name. Then Morty with No Other Girl out of Poland. David Greenberger in Prime Lens with Impedimenta. He just asked me to do some bass. Cabell. Dulce Drone. Para Futa. Fuat. Yeah, that's Gaelic and I fucked up. They're out of Belfast. Sorry for butchering your words, people. Uh, Waku Waku Kingdom. Brother Shige was a uh, live version of Sugar Pills. And finally, Mad Love, The Art of Denial. What What is Mad Love? Mad Love, you mean the the concept? Or the prod, yeah. The, well, that's a, that was a rock band I put together in 2009, and it's you know it was actually the first kind of really rock band of my own that I had where I was 100%. I wrote all the music, and I put the band together. Um, that band didn't really... Um, we did a cup, we didn't do very many gigs. Um, and I, I would love to revisit it at some point, but, uh, I'm really kind of proud of that, the writing I did on that record. So, um, I actually, uh, um, I don't think, uh, I might be singing a little bit on that, but it's the first record I made where I actually sang lead on one song. Oh yeah. So you broke the water. What about trio convulsive? That's a project that I'm that I still have with uh that's with Mary Halverson on guitar and Chess Smith and oh, um, great drummer man. Yeah, yeah, one of my favorite drummers. He's he's also on the Mad Love record. So oh, I, he is. Who else was in that band? Uh, the singer was Sonny Kim, um, Korean singer, yeah. and uh, Hilmar Jensen, Icelandic guitar player. Okay. And, and um, yeah, that was. I mean, I also wasn't very smart about putting that band together. The guitar player lives in Iceland. The Singer lived in Korea at the time. <laughs> well, like these days, trade files over the internet. Internet's not all bad, people. Yeah. You don't have to yeah. just spread a QAnon shit. You can trade files and make music. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and maybe these were from your Brooklyn days, too. It's very cosmopolitan. Uh-huh. Yeah, right, yeah. Right? Because there comes a point where you leave California for New York, Brooklyn, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, tell us. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, 2000 is when I moved. I lived after I left uh, Humboldt County. I, moved, I lived in San Francisco in the 90s, essentially. And then in 2000, I moved to New York. And, you know, I was just a little bit, um, uh, uh, I don't know, I was a little bit too content musically in San Francisco. I was I was working a lot. I was playing a lot of jazz gigs and restaurants and um and, you know, occasionally touring with Mr. Bungle, but I, I wasn't really being pushed in the music scene there like I wanted to be. And, that, and then I had friends in New York who encouraged me to move out here. So that's what I did. Yeah. And there's a lot going on there, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you got I'll, people coming from the rest of the country to go there. So there's a special kind of energy. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, the city's I mean, got some of that, but nothing like uh, Brooklyn, Manhattan, I guess now Bronx and Spanish Harlem, but people are moving all over, right? Because of the high rents. Yeah. How was it when you went there in 2000? I mean, the, the monies, well, was, the city, was, the city's a lot of monies too, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, every, every musician I knew at that, when I moved here lived in Brooklyn and, um, because it was cheaper, you know, Manhattan was kind of out of range. Um, and, uh, yeah, I lived in, man, my first apartment in New York in Brooklyn was such a piece of crap. <laughs> <laughs> there were, you know, I could hear the mice in the walls. You know, I just, <laughs> I'd slam my hand, my fist against the wall, and I could hear the sheetrock crumbling inside. The thunder and herd. 
And, uh, <laughs> but man, there's a lot of people. I know. I know. Nails told me about when he moved there. You know, uh, all the open. You know, he tried to get free music going down here in SoCal for years with his brother Alex. But when right. he got there, buttloads of of connects and and stuff like that. There, nothing like it. Uh, we're at the end of the second hour, uh, January 25, or is it 27? Yeah. 2021. Did you want so special guest, Trevor Dunn? Hold tight for hour three. January 27, 2021. It's the third hour of the Watt for Pedro show.
world that I love. You take my mother, only seven years older than I am now. Imperfect world that I love. You give me beautiful sons she will never know. Imperfect world, you give us souls that feel the edge of loss and joy, cutting daily so we never forget. Imperfect world, your roads do not rise to meet us. We stand to meet them, a wavering gaze, dimly comprehending. Oh, my. 
Off of Pedro Show. Melody, no, no, IV4 from Shelley Bergen and Trevor Dunn. Then Crane with his dance version of Scientific Proof. Imperfect World by Phil Venable. Archaic Volumes from Fatso Jessen. Mario Lally and his, his brother on bass, right? Uh, Toleman Dietrich, John Dietrich from uh, Deerhoof. Zero Nine, Paul Motion, great drummer man we lost. Wednesday's gone. So is Brother Paul. Blue and C minor from, now Now is this project called Endangered Blood? Yeah. Because, okay, and then the the guys in it is, is Jim Black, Trevor Dunn, Oscar Noriega, and Chris Speed, right? That's right, that's right, okay. yeah. And, and then how, how'd that come? Is that one of your, your New York kind of uh, connect thing? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Those are all guys who um, I didn't meet until I moved here to New York. They all knew each other. They kind of, uh, Chris and Jim were from Seattle originally and Oscar's from uh, Tucson. And the those guys knew each other up in Boston in the 90s when they were all going to school up there. And um, and then, yeah, we met, uh, we kind of all lived in the same neighborhood uh, for years before we and we would hang out before we even really started playing music together. And, uh, which is such a typical New York thing, you know, it's like, <laughs> Hey, how we start a band, you know, <laughs> we're all now, musicians. Now in Ber- uh, when they, the, were they at Berkeley in Boston? Um, I, I, I believe that Jim was, I think Chris was at, uh, NEC. No, no, no. I, I asked that to ask this other question. Did you ever want to think, man, I should have went to Berkeley. I, you know, when I, Earlier, I was talking about, after, you know, after high school, I didn't know what the heck I was going to yeah. do. And I remember I did get a um, I got an application form for Berkeley and I was considering it. And then I just, you know, I didn't know enough about jazz. Then I realized looking at that application that I was I was probably never going to get in. So and also it was a little bit uh, it was still a little bit scary for me to the idea of moving out, you know, moving to another town. I never traveled at all. So. I just I just lived at home and went to a small university instead. But yeah, I, I considered it. Some people tell me it's more for the connects than the theory. <laughs> yeah, I made the connects later. <laughs> <laughs> now, now tell me about this uh, Shelley Bergen four proj. Uh, that's a duo project. She's a pedal harp player. She's actually out in L.A. now. Um, if you ever need a harp player and. Yeah. Uh, like pedal harp, you know. <laughs> uh, Zena uh, uh, Nels has got a buddy, right? Zena Parkins. Yeah, Zena Parkins. Yeah, yeah. They've actually, uh, her and Shelly have done some work together. I think. Twofer. Okay. Uh, there, there's and, nothing like that instrument, isn't it? Fucking beautiful. Yeah, and it's man, it pairs really well with upright bass. Her and I had this duo project for a while, and um, we made two records uh, and did a tour that we booked ourselves in the in the Southeast. It was great. We loaded up my Subaru with uh, her harp and my bass, and we went on the road for two weeks and improvising. It was oh, great. Bitching. You know, you told me you like to compose on the guitar, and I'm going to play this tune, Melody for Connor Bass with String Quartet. Now, how do you write a piece like that on the guitar? <laughs> that, actually, I guess I probably did not write on guitar. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> just a guess, just a guess. Yeah, yeah. I that was um I actually wrote that piece when I was in college and was really kind of getting into composition and studying strings and um you know, so that was the first thing I ever actually wrote for um you know, just for upright bass and then 
and then learning how to write for a string quartet. Yeah, bitchin', let's listen.
Okay, Jimmy, you're freaking me out.
Peter, so last music for this edition. Melody for Counterbass with String Quartet. Man, first piece from Trevor Dunn. You know, my first tune, well, I only wrote one before uh, Minuteman Reactionaries. And it was called uh, Mr. Bass, King Outer Space. And it was about playing a bass solo and blowing the rest of the band off the stage. Obviously, <laughs> some issues I was addressing there. And, uh, That's great. I terrible. love it. I can't even yeah. remember the music or the words or anything, but I remember the you know, the basic plot. <laughs> 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 
Yeah. <laughs> it's for shame. And we had Sean Lennon with Jimmy's Drunk, The Dwarf and the Horse from Sleep Party People, March Part 3 from You Who Do Right featuring Jasmine Trails, Bottom of the Well from Maggie Bajorklin, and finally, the Nels Klein Singers. Yeah. Which you, you've served aboard, right? The, yeah. The, the, the Pleather Patrol. <laughs> the Pleather People is like plastic kind of leather or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really yeah. good if you're sweaty and you sit on a couch made of that shit. <laughs> or, or conk out on it even better. Uh, yeah, yeah. So when did you get that old P-Base? I bought that thing in, let's see, probably 97 um, from a place in Berkeley, California called Univibe, a store um, which is a really cool kind of vintage store back then. It doesn't exist anymore, of course. But um, I remember I just <clears> – <throat> I'd been playing um, this – I have this five-string um, Alembic bass that I've had for years, and that was kind of my main bass for a while. And it, for some reason, I, it, I just – all of a sudden wanted a four string again and um and wanted to get back to that and i thought man i want a p bass i just i just want one and i <laughs> and i so i went to this store and they had two and i tried them both out and i liked this one and and it, now it's kind of my main bass i mean it has been for well 20 years i guess but um great sound and what year is it uh 75 is it three bolt or four uh it's four okay because there's some yeah. 70s that are three bolt. And of course, Watt yanks them out of t t tune <laughs> pulling too hard. Huh? I had uh, a, yeah. a jazz bass. It was swamp ash, too. It must have weighed like 10 pounds. It was heavy. Uh -huh. Heavy is. <laughs> and uh, and uh, uh, what about recording bass? Like right now in this situation? Are you trading files? Are you doing stuff like that? A little bit. Not a, not a ton. Um, I did some people, I've done a couple things. Um, uh, like this drummer, Brian Chase out here just uh, started a new cassette label and he's doing these um, compilations where he asks four different people uh, to, to record some stuff. And then he puts out a limited run of cassettes. And so I did one. The first, he did the first one um, just a few months ago and it was me and three other bass players. So each of us, I just, you know, did three improvisations essentially. And, and um, but yeah, I record here at home. I've got a good microphone and and a good preamp and i use logic and and i can get a pretty good pretty good recording so have you been composing yeah actually i'm i'm right now i'm writing for another trio convulsion record actually um so sitting here with my guitar and pencil and writing notes down so so uh, let me ask you when you compose do you envision the piece completed no, I usually start. I mean, sometimes I have a general idea about it, like, oh, it needs to be up tempo or something really general like that. Um, or, you know, maybe it's time for a ballad or something or, you know, but um, I really I sit down and I just start picking away at ideas and scraps and it kind of develops as it goes, you know, as I'm writing it. And, you know, um, I may write a whole the other day I wrote something I spent hours and then I got. I finished with it and I thought, you know what? This sucks. I'm throwing it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I ask that because sometimes, well, lots of times when I write on the bass, I'm, I'm on purpose not knowing, wanting to know what's going to sound. It's more like a, I'm building a diving board or a launch pad to see what the collaborators, the co-conspirators are going to do with this. 
Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Yeah, I like to, especially with my the trio convulsion, there's a lot of, there's a room for improvisation. So I want other people to contribute, you know. Um, it's funny, that makes me, what you just said makes me think of um, a John Cage quote. He said, I don't write what I hear, I write in order to hear my music. <laughs> yeah, well, he's all about context. Uh, yeah, yeah. And which which makes sense, you know. Uh, it's not like you have to explain it, but the context is kind of important. I just ask, you know, I love the idea of bass players being composers, drummers being composers. Yeah. I just like this because they're coming from not a traditional place to compose. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, for me, I do so much work as a sideman. It's hard to have the time to write, you know, I'm usually learning someone else's music. Learning somebody else's stuff, right. What do they call that? Sideman-itis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got to watch out. But life is about taking turns, so I'm so glad that you get a, t a chance to fucking be a composer meister. Right on. It's been a huge honor to have you aboard, Brother Trevor. And when you get some, uh, this, this, this new trio uh, music out, will you come back on the show and we can talk about it? Because I know you probably wrote for these guys. You know these guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would love to. I man, I'm I'm so I'm totally honored to be a guest on your show. I love your show. It's oh. you've been a long time, man. Oh man. <laughs> Big respect back. People, it's been the January twenty seventh, twenty one twenty one. Hard to say it. Dish and Pedro show keep you powder dry.